This is the Out of State Hunter podcast. I'm your host, Chad Riker. Today we have a great show with two great guests from North Dakota. So what is Out of State Hunter? Out of State Hunter is a podcast that explores the rules, the regulations, and any opportunities that are out there in every state. The plan is to cover all 50 states, and when we do, it'll give non-residents a very good understanding of what opportunities are out there so that they can travel and they can hunt, and they just know what opportunities that they have. Before we jump into this show with North Dakota, I want to talk briefly about the sponsors for this show, which is Kodiak Canvas and Altera Arms. Kodiak Canvas, I had the opportunity this past weekend to go on a little camping trip with my wife. We went up to Colorado, and of course, while we were there, we got hammered, absolutely hammered with a rainstorm. And the entire time that it rained, we were tucked in that Kodiak canvas, nice and dry, had some movies downloaded, and we just sat there and watched movies, listened to the rain, hit the top of the tent, and it was absolutely awesome. The thing with the Kodiak is that I always know in any element that I can trust that thing to stay warm and to stay dry. So check out Kodiak Canvas at KodiakCanvas.com and Altera Arms. Man, I'm going to tell you last week, if you listened to the show last week with Tennessee, I told you that my rifle was getting delivered and it did. It got delivered to the FFL. And unfortunately, I had a meeting that ran a little bit late and I was unable to go pick up the rifle. And then I ended up going to Colorado for the weekend. So I haven't picked it up yet. It should be this week as of this podcast is being recorded. So it should be this week. But what I can tell you is when I called the FFL to tell them I wasn't going to be able to pick it up, the, the owner of the gun shop there of the FFL was absolutely drooling over that rifle and was amazed at how well it was built, amazed at the paint job, and just com like completely blown away by the entire build. So now I'm even more excited to see this thing. And now, just hearing from him, I'm certain that it's going to be a really, really super awesome rifle. Can't wait to get my hands on that thing. Check them out, alterarms.com. All right, let's hop into this show with North Dakota. Welcome back to Out of State Hunter Podcast. Today I'm doing a podcast with North Dakota Game and Fish Department, and I have two excellent resources on here today. I have Kayla Bindle and Brian Hosick. Kayla is the R3 coordinator and host of the North Dakota Outdoors Podcast, so she's going to be a great resource. And then we also have Brian on here, and Brian is the business operations manager, also a great resource. Um, I'm going to turn it over to them. I'm turning it over to Kayla first and let her do kind of a quick intro, what she does for the game and fish department. And then we'll let Brian do an intro. And then we're going to get into all this great non-resident hunting information. Kayla, thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, as you said, I'm the R3 coordinator, which um, if you're unfamiliar with, stands for Recruit, Retain, and Reactivate. Um, some states have that for separate for hunters and anglers. I kind of cover both hunting and fishing and, and trapping um, here in North Dakota. And so just kind of trying to find ways to get new people interested in the outdoors or keep the customers that we do have. Um, I can span the gamut of, I think a lot of people think of just like, learn to hunt type events or things like that. But um, we do a pretty heavy marketing approach here and even just things, some of the things we'll get into today, but just making um, knowledge about how to get out in the field more accessible to people. Um, it can, yeah, really run the gamut of the entire department. It can 
come down to, you know, stocking fish in a certain lake or promoting a certain lake or really just anything. So, um, yeah. Good. Awesome. I, I think that R3 program in any state is, is really, really beneficial. And what you guys do is is just super awesome. Those are all three, three major things of part of con- conservation. So great to have it. And I, I think that's awesome. Uh, Brian, what are you doing over there at the Game and Fish Department? Well, yes, my name is Brian Hosick. I work in the Administrative Services Division at Game and Fish here. Um, we do a little bit more of the licensing data uh, analytics side of the side of things here. Um, work with a lot of different divisions and and closely with Kayla in the in our communications section here. So, um, yeah, it's been uh, getting into the licensing licensing information data kind of uh, merges with a lot of the things that we need to do to promote and do some marketing and things like that with that team. So. Yeah, great. And that's a kind of a big topic that we're going to touch on today is some of that licensing stuff. So I'm really glad that you were you're part of this podcast as well. Um, the first thing I want to start off with, and, and I'll let you guys choose who wants to go. Uh, what's new for 2023? Was there any major changes to the regulations that listeners need to know about um, stuff for non residents that may impact their application process or their buying a license process? I guess I could start with some of it, Kayla, it, yeah. even though these are all your notes. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just finished up our, our legislative session. So in North Dakota, we have a, a legislative session every two years. And uh, there were some things in there where we where some legislation was added. Um, one that would definitely uh, benefit non-residents would be the reciprocal use. So a lot of states have um, licensing where it's with the with reciprocity if that's offered in your state and and that could span a number of items including it can in, in some cases and uh, it's gotten down to spear fishing many many years ago and so uh a lot of a lot of times spear fishing isn't you can't do that in florida right so not a lot of frozen water <laughs> yeah, but even right. with some of our even with some of our other like uh small game and and uh licenses that we have for uh, uh upland game and waterfowl there's uh, there's been some uh, reciprocity uh, laws in place. And so understanding what that meant for youth was uh, something important to us. And there was some good legislation that was passed. It just, it just removed that. It just made it made uh, youth the same nationally. So folks, you know, young, young hunters uh, can come in and, and participate as residents uh, and have the same license fees and things like that as our, our resident youth. So um, yeah, certainly some good legislation there. Um and then, yeah. And so did you say that's a national thing? I'm sorry to interrupt well, I mean, you. But... If they, if they, yeah, because they, before it was set up where, you know, that state had to have the same offerings to for North Dakota residents. So like a North Dakota youth going to Georgia, for example, if Georgia didn't provide resident pricing for that youth, then North Dakota wouldn't. You know what I mean? Uh-huh, so, right. yeah. So it was something that was like, you know what, we don't need to, you know, pick and choose each state and handle them differently. Let's just open that up nationally to be the same to be the same for all youth. Um, That's great. kind of feel that if they come into North Dakota and have a good experience, it's something that they may, it may result in them coming back here for a future visit as an adult, or, or even in a lot of cases, we, we have, we have staff here that made North Dakota their home. So there's some things here that uh, certainly are, are beneficial to, to that. What's uh, the age range on that for youth? What What's the Where's the cutoff? So it's, un- it's under 16. Yeah. Okay. So youth under the age of wow. 16. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to, oh. sorry to interrupt. I didn't want to dwell on that topic, but yeah. that's, I think that's, that's super, super cool. Yeah. And so it I used think- to be like 12 or something states that offered it to us. And I'm imagining that was just a little bit of a headache to f- deal with. So it was just like, sure. whatever, any youth from out right. of state. 
yeah. yeah. Really and cool. you're always having to look <laughs> to try yeah. to see if they've made any changes uh, um, in their state. So um, other than that, I think that was the that was some of the, the legislation applied to non-residents. Um, as Kayla kind of put in our notes, too, that we have uh, we just promoted our, our mobile app. So we just released a, a native mobile app for Game of Fish. The, the concept behind that was, you know, get a, a number of things to get some tools in the hands of hunters and anglers trappers, boaters, um, get that information on their device, um, easily accessible out in the field. Um, we know everything's technology is involved in everything these days. So um, the ability to present a digital license, a lot of states are moving to digital driver's licenses even. So um, getting a, getting ahead of that and, and allowing that to be on the device in the field and be able to present that, um, it, it was something we wanted to focus on offline, of course, and, and you know, when you're out in, out in an area without cell service. So um, that was a piece of it, but we also threw on some other tools on there that can really help in the field with, you know, um, weather forecast information, regulations that are just, again, accessible offline. Uh, and then uh, it's also a great communication tool for us. So we kind of promoted some of the communication tools, podcast, uh, social media types, uh, offerings that we have. And then the oh. ability to just, just communicate with the, the, the uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, hunter angler. I mean, if we wanted to send them a message or give them a reminder on something, maybe a lottery deadline, things like that. So um, we're still getting our feet wet with a lot of it, and we'll be exploring a lot more the the communication tools that we have at our our whim here. But um, definitely something we've uh, been promoting here. Wow, that's that sounds like a really user friendly tool. So that's good. I, I've heard of a lot of states that are moving to the mobile type of system, but not really to the point where the regulations are in there and you can have access to the regulation when you're offline or some of those other tools that you just mentioned. So that that's super cool. Um, Kayla, so is the, can you only get your tags and your licenses through the app or are you able to get those in the mail or do you still have paper, paper type licenses? Yeah, so you can get them on the app, but you definitely don't have to use the app. Um, all of our licensing is done online, but um, you can still do it at a vendor. It's just all now linked up to one online system. So um, you can do it on our website. You can do it on the app or um, participating vendors. Um, you can still get it there. Um, but yeah, if you want, you can just have it. Um, you don't have to print it at all if you want and just have it on the app there um, in your wallet is what we call it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if you'd prefer a paper copy, um, you can still print that from online or yeah, go or walk into one of our offices too and, and purchase one, but good. So okay. still a lot of options. Yeah. Good. I don't know that everybody's totally to that mobile side yet. I, I still think there's a lot of people out there that prefer to have that paper, paper copy. I'm a paper copy guy. I I'd still keep a paper <laughs> we're, tag we're with definitely, me. We're yeah, that's something we watched really close. You see the you see that shift over the years, and we and we made those changes when we went exclusively online for for licensing and lotteries. Um, you watched all the analytics come in, and eventually to see how many people are taking that that path, and then finally just uh, committing to to going that route exclusively. But yeah, that's I think what Kayla mentioned. All that being a digital license is is kind of the way it's been going, and and promoting that. And then um, the one thing that. Uh, we're still exploring that some other states have jumped into is e-tagging. So I know that wasn't on the notes, but something we're definitely keeping an eye on trying to find a, find the best way to do that. So you got to find the things that aren't working well in other states and see if you can perfect them. So. Yeah, boy, that's something that as I, as I record with multiple states, right. And at this point, I, I think I've recorded with about 15 or 16 states. 
that e-tagging is something that comes up in every conversation. I think <laughs> every state is that they've either adopted it and it's working ish or it's, it's right there on the cusp and, and they're testing right. it and it's right there. So pretty cool to see that trend kind of, kind of happening and it'll get there someday. I think it'll, everything will be digital. Like you said, even a driver's license is digital. Right. Credit cards are digital. Everything is digital now. So pretty soon mm -hmm. it'll, it'll all be there. Um, what about, I, I see a, note, a couple of notes on here about the CWD transportation and carcass disposal regulations. Was that a new change too? Not necessarily. Actually, we're still kind of finalizing our CWD proclamation, but just certainly something to tune into as a non-resident. Um, there might be a couple more. Um, we have some transportation restrictions in units where we've had positive detection, so there might be a couple of additional units this year. Um, but then certainly you can't transmit, um, transport, excuse me, any transmissible parts out of the state. Um, so just something to be aware of. Um, if you do happen to be a lucky one hunting, um, non-resident hunting our state or hunting a buck in our state, just, you know, being mindful of, um, lining up a taxidermist ahead of time, if you can't move that out of the unit, um, or out of the state or being prepared to like fully debone your meat and like, uh, fully clean out a skull and things like that. So just something to tune into, um, not necessarily any new legislation regarding that, but. Okay. When do you expect to see that proclamation come out? <laughs> I think we're mid July. So our, we need our, we need our governor to sign it. And um, okay. I don't know if you've heard, but he's on a little bit of a presidential campaign. Yeah, run, so he's been a little that. tied up. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Well, okay. So keep an eye out for that. And I assume that'll tell what um, units or, or, or where people need to be aware of that there was CWD found and, mm -hmm. and all of yep. that in that. Okay. And you can look on our website now. Um, there may just be a couple of additional, but um, there's certainly information on what currently we have transportation and baiting restrictions on. So, Very good. And then what is the $3 ANS fee for non -residents? I almost shouldn't oh. have put that on here. I mean, again, not our doing, um, but the legislative session added. Um, it was actually, I think it was $5 was added to non-resident fishing licenses. And so it's just, I think, okay. Yeah, I think that's what the, yeah, I think we're talking the same thing here. Maybe the, um, there were some new things for. Uh, I think it's three. I mean, it could be five on fishing. I know it's three on like the waterfowl licenses because they're $103. Oh, pre previously, yes. Yeah. So this hasn't, some of this hasn't kicked in place yet, but um, yeah, that was in the previous year. There was okay. a, an, an aquatic nuisance species fee um, added to, to, added to resident non-resident and waterfowl licenses in a previous session. So okay. um, mostly, again, yeah, most of a lot of states obviously have, uh, have been uh, picking up the challenge of, of ANS and trying to find ways to fund the, fund that too. So that was something that was changed a couple, a couple sessions ago. Mostly gotcha. just wanted to explain why our non-resident waterfowl license are $103. <laughs> just such a oh, random. random number yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah at least it wasn't changed like 103 dollars yeah. and 99 cents yeah that's yeah, true. right yeah, that's good that's good well and if it's included into the fee when somebody goes on to purchase it it's basically transparent right and mm -hmm. so it might have went up a couple of bucks but it isn't like you have to click a box to add something and i i think 
to me, that's kind of important because then you mm -hmm. start second guessing of, well, do I want to start adding a bunch of funds? So I'd rather pay $103 than pay 100 and then have to check some boxes to add stuff in. So it's it's good that it's there. We've, we've, we've had some good feedback on that. It's when you, you know, every license you have, you know, it gets goes to different funds, even a, even a, you know, certain hunting licenses, whether it be for habitat or game or things like that. Right. And so you can get really, uh, you can itemize all that stuff. And the, and the majority of people go, just tell me what I need to pay. <laughs> yeah. Just give me <laughs> I just a want to pay and move on. Total, right. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm said, that I just want to click the one box and move on. I don't want to have to click many boxes. So, um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Very good. Well, let's move on to important dates and reminders. And as I look through these, it, it certainly appears that I'm a little bit late in recording with you guys, but um, I still think that this is going to be some important information for maybe next year or years to come. So let's hit that important dates and reminders. And when I talk about these, this is uh, examples of deadlines. If there's any sort of draw process or license purchasing process, maybe a mandatory check-in type of date. If you're required to check in an animal after you, after you harvest an animal. So um, let's hit that. Yeah, so um, we pretty limited non-resident big, big game opportunities, um, partially because we kind of have limited resident big game opportunities. So our moose, elk, and bighorn sheep are once-in-a-lifetime licenses um, for residents, and that's just a lottery without preference points. So um, yeah, you just luck of the draw every year and not many, there's many people who will never draw those tags, um, even if they apply every year. So um, I guess particularly if you want to hunt um, bulls and um, yeah, yeah, I guess bulls. For yeah. But the, yeah. that And we have, we do, we do have the one, um, you know, non-residents can put in for the bighorn sheep tag. So it's, uh, that is an opportunity for them to, uh, obviously there's, there's folks that, that, highly seek that highly seek that license across the nation in different states so right yeah and we usually that... have like three or five three to five depending on right. how the the sheep herd's doing and then you have you know 20 i don't know 30 plus thousand 40 plus thousand applicants for that so <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance yeah right? <laughs> well, the, and there there is and is that no point totals right you said it's just a yeah, total just... lottery right. luck of the draw every year yeah mm -hmm. so somebody's got to draw it mm -hmm. right but then when we get into our deer hunting also a lottery for our residents and so um i guess i can have uh brian jump in on some of this but um we yeah. allocate uh one percent of licenses in a unit that are available to residents like one percent of that we allocate to non-residents so pretty limited uh tags out there and then there's some other um pools of people that fall into that. So non-resident landowners kind of take off from, take a cut from that 1% as well as our guides and outfitters. Um, so there's not always a lot of tags left in those. And you can see the last year's drawing statistics on our website. And so you can tell that there's, um, you know, especially on the buck side of things, there's people with more than 10 um, bonus points that still are not drawing those tags. So um, just be aware of your odds, but a little bit more accessible for does. Um, but that regular deer gun lottery is always, um, the deadline for that's always usually early June. Um, otherwise we have some non-resident, any deer bow licenses that has a little bit earlier deadline. This always catches me off guard because I have a few people that apply for that. And I always forget to like tune into it, um, a little sooner than our deer gun. So that deadline is April 15th. 
um, and we allocate 15% of the previous year's mule deer gun license allocation because um, most non-residents, I think, are seeking to hunt mule deer bucks without any deer bow license. Um, I guess I should, we have mule deer and whitetail here in North Dakota, but um, that seems to be particularly, I think a lot of people are looking to hunt Western North Dakota, um, the Badlands. We have a large expanse of national grassland public land that gets hit pretty hard for mule deer. Um, and so that's a lottery. Again, no bonus points. Um, it's just kind of luck of the draw. Um, but yeah, that deadline yeah. is April 15th. Okay. Yeah, I guess Kayla brings up a good point on a little bit about our state is is uh, kind of uh, some geographic features uh, varying from, from east to west and that kind of like that Badlands country out west, um, you know, hosting more, more mule deer, uh, getting into the prairie pothole region. Um, basically, North Dakota is a, a tall grass and short grass prairie state. Um, not a lot of trees. Um, uh, probably not the ideal place for deer. <laughs> um, and so you know, when you see a lot of these neighboring states with uh, with different habitat that North Dakota has, and, and and you know part of the reason why we have you know so many unsuccessful resident applicants to come in versus our neighboring state that's loaded with uh, lakes and trees and and uh they can't give enough away right um and so yeah it's a uh, definitely a challenge for our resident uh you know deer hunters and um and then yeah look at that's why that that's why habitat's so important for us is to try to maintain those maintain the those herds and and kind of meet the demand of what uh, our residents are asking for but very important like what Kayla said with with visiting our website and kind of looking at for non-residents looking at their opportunity to draw you hate to have someone applying in a unit for something that they have zero percent chance to draw or very 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 limited chance to draw something and year after year after year and you know in some cases it may be where they grew up you know and they want to come back and hunt with family but uh um yeah something to keep an eye on and and um uh, take a look at those drawing stats that we that we have so yeah, I, I did just a... want to say, go ahead, oh, go ahead. Go ahead Kayla. No, I was going to say, for example, in our first deer gun lottery, I did not draw a tag. Um, so it's, that's why it's so limited for non-residents is because, you know, we're trying, even our residents right. are are struggling to get tags in areas that they want to hunt. And that, I was even surprised, you know, I have a little bit of knowledge of the odds and how things work. And I thought I would draw my second choice doe tag and did not. So um, I'll head into our, we have a second lottery for residents um, for whatever, some doe tags that are left, but um, it's competitive and we're coming off a rough winter, but yeah, just not a state that has a lot of deer to begin with. So, yeah. And I think that's a really valuable point for this, this podcast. Um, Kayla, when you and I first started talking, I think you had mentioned like halfway through the conversation, you're like, Hey, honestly, we don't really have a ton of non-resident opportunity. And so to me, negative information is just as important as positive information. And I, I think that this it's valuable what we're talking about, because there may be somebody out there that maybe their desire is just to hunt in all 50 States and letting them know that this is, this might be one of the last States you get to because just applying every year and it could take a long time to get there or, I think we get to it here in a little bit, but what are some of those best opportunities in order to hunt in North Dakota? So a lot of value in it, even, even if there isn't a ton of non-resident opportunity, I still think there's a ton of value in, in what you get, what you're both saying right now. So, right. Uh, okay. Uh, so that was a 
bit of a tangent, but but that's totally okay. That's what we do here. Um, okay, uh, moving on. What was what was next? Brian, well, if you want to touch on concurrent licenses, maybe or yeah, whatever. We, yeah, we have a so yeah we we have our regular deer gun season, but um, in a lot of cases, uh, there are some units that have leftover doe tags. I mean, occasionally you might have a, a leftover buck tag. Um, and um, but the way it goes, the way that our lottery works is we go through a a first first lottery. Um, applicants have to get in by a deadline. And then there's an unsuccessful drawing on that. So again, just because we have, you know, tens of thousands of people that were unsuccessful that did put in, um, they get a crack at those at that second drawing. So um, to pick one of those remaining units. Um, after that, we 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 open that up. So it's um, basically it's a uh, remaining deer licenses. They're available on first come first serve basis. So there's this mad rush to get those get those licenses, and it's kind of on the clock, and, and it's like getting concert tickets, I suppose. So I get that last seat, and so that mad rush starts. Um, certainly a lot of traffic. And then uh, we do have some units that, you know, strategically we've, we've uh, you know, increased um, the allocation of tags. And that's, you know, we have, we have some things where we're trying to use some different strategies with CWD, uh, harvesting a little more, you know, preferences to harvest more deer in those areas and try to, you know, using anything we can to kind of keep that at bay. So um, that's, uh, yeah, uh, there's, so there's some units where we've, uh, we, we don't, where we have leftover tags. And so that offers a, a concurrent season. It's a separate season for, for uh, deer and it allows folks to any folks to come in and kind of use that, use that license. So, I mean, it's, um, uh, you'll see some of that attention, um, uh, different, different windows for hunting a little bit too. So it gives some people some extra time to, uh, to hunt. So, um, and that is available to non-residents. Um, we did get a little bit on the, I don't know if we touched on all the fees, um, for non-residents, but a, a typical deer, non-resident deer license is going to be $255. There's a $5 for the, for the lottery portion. Anyway, there's a, there's a $5 application fee that's not refundable. So we do refund if you're unsuccessful, the $250. Um, but after that, these other licenses, like, like we talk about with the concurrent seasonal license, uh, $50 for a deer tag, um, a deer license, uh, to come in and make use of that season, that separate season. So, um, yeah, we definitely, uh, that's, it's been a good, a good strategy. It's, it's been working to kind of get some opportunity. Um, there's, there's, there's people out there that are, are, uh, they're meat hunters and they're, they're happy to go, they're happy to go doe hunting and, um, and uh, use those licenses so i think we get into licenses coming up here in a minute but i wanted to clarify something there so that 250 dollars deer license does that include that's all that you need to be in the field or is there so uh, my comparison would be out out here in a lot of the western states you have to buy a hunting license and then you right. apply for the the tag yeah. right it's and the then you have to buy the states. tag on top of the license so do you, is there, yeah. what am I looking at if I was trying yeah, to get a deer license? Yeah, for deer, for deer hunting, you're going to need a general game and habitat license, which is $20. Mm -hmm. So that's, that, uh, and that's how most states work. You're right. So they typically have that type of license and then you tack on if you want other lottery type licenses, deer licenses, other big game licenses. So, um, yeah, that would be in addition to the 250, um, deer license. Okay. Those are, 
again, we do offer in our state a refund option if unsuccessful. Um, some states don't. Some states you have to buy that license, and and whether you're hunting there or not, you're out that license. You're gonna you're gonna need that license to apply. So, okay, um, I'm kind of skipping yeah. ahead a little bit, but what about if you draw? Uh, if you were successful, are you able to get any sort of refund at that point? If I, I just can't make it up there to, to go on the hunt, is that refundable? That at that point, it's not, obviously we, when we run a lottery, it's, you're taking that license opportunity to wait for someone else. And so we're not running subsequent lotteries to kind of divvy those back out. So it's, it is something that, um, that, uh, yeah, to, I, I don't know that many, when people have waited so long to get that license, it's probably rare. If something like that were to occur, but, um, but yeah, I think that's, uh, that's something that's, that's, uh, you can pay for at the time of application. So it's all handled at that time. It's, um, okay. just to make sure everyone has everything they need if successful and we can kick those licenses out immediately. Okay. But, and we'll touch on a couple of more licensed things, but I, I kind of got ahead there a little bit and I apologize. We can oh, go I back. Do, to yeah, the... I did too. <laughs> we can let's jump back into you spoke about the concurrent licenses let's hit the archery season talk through that and then we have the deer gun and muzzleloader so we can hit those things yeah, yeah. so we have a oh, go, go ahead, ahead. Kayla. yeah take, i'll let you take that one yeah uh we have a pretty lengthy archery season which is nice um so all of our i think most if not all of our big game seasons um open fridays at noon which is kind of fun like even the deer gun season it's pretty quiet around the halls here because, um, yeah, our big game season's open Fridays at noon. So that archery season is usually usually the first Friday in September at noon and then runs all the way through um, the first Sunday in January. If you're a diehard, things are pretty cold and, and nasty here in January. But Ooh, I can only imagine that, huh? Um, so, yeah, a lengthy season there. Otherwise, our deer gun season is, again, Friday at noon, the Friday before Veterans Day. Um, the 10th is the latest it can be. So this is a, this is another year. Um, it usually ends up not falling over Thanksgiving, but this year it does. So it'll open kind of what seems late, um, and then run through it's three weekends long. So it'll run through Thanksgiving um, this year, but, um, usually it, it ends up wrapping up before that Thanksgiving. Can you hunt the, with archery equipment during gun season? Yes, you can. Okay. So um, if you're a diehard archery guy, you can carry your bow the whole time. Yes, you do need yep. to, I'm sure we'll touch on this later, you do need to wear orange during that deer gun season if you're archery hunting. Um, okay. And then our muzzleloader season opens the weekend after deer gun season closes and is open for three weekends um, as well. So those are kind of the seasons. What and I don't is, know if... Uh, what's the rut? Like what typical, what's the deer rut? When Looking at this, I'm, I'm thinking for you guys, it's probably like a late November, early November timeframe. Is that about right? Yeah, and it, it does differ a little bit, uh, well, for certainly year to year, and, um, you know, a lot of people will say differ between whitetails and mule deer. Yeah. Um, again, we have both species here, so, um, and I feel like just based on experience, it can differ in parts of the state that you're in, um, but yeah, I would say mid to late November um, is kind of I'm not hunting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that gun season falls perfectly with that, yeah. that rut. That's... I know it's even nice with the deer gun season being so late this year. Um, I'm sure there'll be some archery people happy to get in on early, you know, some potential good rutting opportunity that first weekend of November still without yeah. the uh, rifle season mm -hmm. having started. So really cool. That's cool. 
Okay. Um, so we kind of touched on license requirements, but um, I'll let you work through this. Uh, Brian, I'll, I'll let you work through this um, just to, to touch base. Cause there's, we talked about the $20 license and then the cost for deer, but there's a few other additional things too. So we'll touch on those. Yeah, I guess uh, from just kind of looking at our notes here, um, uh, and, and I know we've touched mostly on on big game and deer here, but we certainly have a lot of other angling opportunities and 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 small game waterfowl, upland game. I mean, so there's some other other big things that we have to offer. Um, and really, that's that is that is some of the bread and butter of North Dakota is our our pheasant, grouse, um, waterfowl opportunities a lot of goose hunting you know so we do have a pretty large draw of, of for non-residents to come up here and participate in that um all those licenses do require that general game and habitat like i said that 20 dollars general game and habitat um there is a, a two dollar certificate fee that goes with that and then like i said depending on what you go from there if it's uh deer hunting or if it's uh waterfowl hunting you need a small game license um you'll have uh um obviously your certain, you know, your duck stamps and things like that. So there's just, there's a, there's a variety of just requirements we have. We take care of all that for you in our online services platform. So that's something we've spent a lot of time. Um, we want people to just, you know, just get in, get into the system. We'll tell you what you need, uh, you know, as you're, you know, for the licenses you need and we're offering you get you in and out quick and uh, make sure you have uh, all the stuff handy for you to go out in the field. So um but yeah, I think that's uh, that's there's there's some things with our small game licenses. I know you have that on, on your notes here somewhere, Kayla. But um, it's uh, the small game license. I believe is a hundred dollars. Um, we have some some th varying things with that. So it depends on if you're for waterfowl. It's a little different. There's there's um, some zones and there's some periods you can hunt. But it's typically that license comes with two seven day periods, and um, you know that's for 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 example like if you're grouse hunting or you're pheasant hunting you can purchase multiple licenses um for waterfowl hunting you're going to be you know you're, you're going to have one opportunity to use that license uh and, it, and again that depends on the zones you pick so um i think kayla you have it on here too that's uh there's the statewide option there's a you could pick one zone for the first seven days and the second zone for the next seven days um, and it varies from, uh, again, $100 to $150, um, including that, you know, again, not trying to itemize that stuff. Kayla did have on here the, the $3 ANS fee is associated with that. So, um, but yeah, I think that's that's another another opportunity, a great, you know, a great resource that a lot of folks come up here. Um, we've, we've been known to be the duck factory, and there's a lot of, you know, we're part of that central flyway for, for North America. Um, and... Uh, that prairie pothole region uh, extending through the states and up into Canada is, is certainly something that uh, certainly something that uh, um, we just, we've had the geography to, to you know have that as a resource and um, certainly it's been a there's been better times historically for that but uh, it is a draw for non-residents uh, seeking seeking uh, waterfowl hunting so. Can you quickly explain what the ANS fee is for listeners that might not know? Okay, so yeah, the aquatic nuisance species fee, that's it's included with our, our fishing license. It's including included with these waterfall licenses. So basically it's uh you know it, it's something that is tacked onto that license. It's also we also include it for boaters as well. So 
Um, if you're going to operate a watercraft on North Dakota waters, then you're going to need to be required to, you know, pay an ANS fee. And we have a sticker for that, like many states do. Um, and so that's just basically a fund to that's used to um, for a variety of things, for research, for you know, you know, definitely promotional information that we need to get out there and education on ANS, clean, drain, dry, you know, um, with your with your craft and. And just, yeah, it's something that, uh, you know, for our North Dakota water, something that's, you know, it feels pretty important to, uh, you know, for for those, you know, make sure that we're not, make sure we're not getting into something that's going to jeopardize the future of, of angling in our state. And, and um, yeah, a lot of other states have, are, have gone the same path and find found ways to fund that. So it's something that's very typical. It's, it's tacked on to license fees to, to fund those programs. And is there also a inspection of any sort that you have to do with watercraft if you're going to put it in the water prior to that? Right. Yeah. So it's something we promote folks to do, um, you know, draining their, their live wells. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of the stuff is introduced, uh, you know, you, you go maybe in a lake that does have a problem with ANS and then they, you take a craft and it could be a jet ski. We never really touched on that as recreational use too so you take that um and you you know introduce that into another water and so yeah that's it's we do promote folks to inspect their their watercraft um as well as um yeah we do have staff that we hire throughout the busy time of the year to do inspections um and just some even some places where we have or we're high use areas or just have you know opportunities to clean your craft and get you know especially in those those where we have positive cases so yeah, very important. We do not have okay. any like mandatory pulling stations, though. Um, okay, so it's just yeah. kind of on the the user, the owner, <laughs> or whatever the term is there. Yeah, uh, and I think about... it just gets a little bit forgotten with the waterfall hunting. But we have a lot of people coming here to hunt big waters for diving ducks, um, and so just you know a lot of people using boats, canoes, things like that, um, and even just inspecting um, your waders, your dog. Um, you know, they get weeds caught on them and things like that. So just, um, yeah, but boat docks are another thing that's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, you know, you can go pick them up in Minnesota where maybe they have positive ANS in those waters and they bring them over. So hmm. something to kind of be diligent about. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, let's move on to hunter education. Is that mandatory to hunt in North Dakota? Uh, yes, it is. We do have, so there's. There is a, um, an opportunity for folks their first time hunting to use an apprentice option, but we do require um, we do require hunter education if you're born after 1961. Um, and there's again there's uh, there's some opportunities for first time hunters with this apprentice one time apprentice option, so they can, they're like they're hunting with a, a licensed hunter that you know that has taken hunter safety or meets those requirements. Um, they certainly get that option. So we didn't want to limit that participation. And I think it's been a pretty good thing. And then as more things go online too, there's the the, the convenience of getting that certification has just, um, has definitely improved too. So um, yeah, I think very similar to many other states. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, most, most states it is mandatory. Um, I guess maybe you said it, I might've missed it. Do you, is it, uh mandatory that you take the north dakota hunter education or can you any state transfer it in yes any state yeah any state can transfer that in 
Okay. Um, the one thing that is different is we do not require bow hunter education. Um, I know that some states do, and and so a lot of folks will take bow hunter and get certified for bow hunter education because they're going to go they're going to go hunt out of state. So and they they need that uh, certification to present that to that state to the requirements. So. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Kayla, what about mandatory reporting and check-in if you take an animal? Yeah. So we um, do not have mandatory reporting check-in. We do our harvest data all based on surveys. Um, so if you do happen to get a post-season survey, um, please take the time to fill that out. Um, also, we have an interesting podcast with our survey coordinator, uh, NDO podcast. Um, I don't, I got to look up what episode it would be, but um just kind of about that, how different states use different um, avenues, and they they both have their um, pros and cons, because um, obviously, even with mandatory check-in, you have people that don't do it. Um, and with our surveys, we get a lot of good information about people who were not successful um, as well. So we get some added information about, um, you know, date. we learn a lot from like, okay, someone hunted for 10 days this season and was not successful. You know, that's pretty valuable information. Or, you know, someone hunted for one day and was not successful. Okay, well, it maybe wasn't an issue of um, deer numbers in that area or things like that. So everything is a survey system. So it is, I remember just moving here. I'm not originally from North Dakota. It was interesting that like, you don't have to tell anyone that you were successful, but you do need to be sure to have your tag on you proper, properly secure your tag and and keep that with you. Um, But, and then I didn't know if you meant here, you know, some States have um, mandatory CWD testing. Um, We just, don't have the capacity to staff that, but we do really encourage you to um, turn in. We have um, drop-off units. You can see those on our website. I think there's almost every unit has one or very nearby. Um, So if you're interested in getting your animal tested, um, we definitely encourage you to drop it off. It's just not um, mandatory. Yeah. And so funny thing with that, uh, I've heard a lot of states say, and I know they're doing this as a survey and they're doing it for their own numbers and they're doing it for their own herd management. But I've heard a lot of states say it's mandatory to get tested for CWD, but we don't provide you the results for two to three weeks after that test happens. So what happens in that two to three weeks, right? By that time, it's already gone. It's already at the taxidermist. It's already down the road and who knows what exposure it's had along the journey. So I, I get it. I know it's the state that's doing it for the surveying purposes, but I just always think that that's, that's kind of mm-hmm. weird. Like, yeah, we'll test it, but then it's on you to do whatever you want with it after that. So yeah. Anyway. Um, so you kind of mentioned a little bit there um, about properly securing your tag. If, if somebody takes an animal, how do they properly tag that animal? And for, for what duration, right? Is it from the field to the taxidermist, from the field to the freezer? How is that tagged? Yeah, so like I think most tags, um, if it's an antlered animal, you know, secure it to the antler. If it's uh, antlerless, kind of cut a slit through the the ear um, and pull it through there. Um, we do have, I'll have Hosek add to this, Brian, add to this. Um, we have some new options about uh, taking photo because we had people that um, a lot of people hunting the backcountry, they shoot an antlerless animal and they're not going to take the head. Um, they're just going to quarter it and take the meat out. They don't have an interest in the head. So we have some protocol if you want to um, take a photo of the animal far away, clearly tagged, and then close up so you can see the tag number. Um, and then you can leave the head there. Um just for those people, again, hunting antlerless and not really interested in taking the head with them. There is that option. Otherwise, 
Yeah, Go a lot ahead. of that strategy is just, um, especially where we have cases where we have some positive CBD is, is, is we don't want to bring that animal and the parts that are transmissible out of the unit. So, um, and we do, and, and, you know, you do that, you have, you know, someone may harvest an animal, they take it, they take it home, they're hunting away from their, their home and uh, they bring it back into a unit and dispose of that carcass, at, you know, on their land somewhere. And so it's just a, it's just another way to introduce or spread that spread CWD. So it was some, it was just, again, one of many strategies you're trying anything you can do to, to kind of limit the spread of this. And so it was, a, it was an opportunity to say, you can certainly leave the carcass in the unit um, where you harvested that animal. And um, if you want to pack out the meat, that's something you can do, but we need some way to identify um, that, uh, you know, that that animal's been harvested and the meat belongs with that critter. So yeah, as Kayla mentioned, was taking the photos. Um, certainly something that we're seeing, just what we talked about a little earlier with the e-tagging. Um, it's another way to kind of help that along and just kind of uh, check the box that this animal's been harvested. Um, and so, yeah, um, certainly continue to explore that. And I think as technology continues on, there'll be better better ways to do that in the future. Yeah, cool. Oh, yeah, that, that's I a, guess that's I should... a good way to do it. I should say it doesn't have to be antlerless. You know, if you're just not interested in the head, um, you can do that photo method um, and yeah, leave it a little where spike it's at. buck or something. You just don't, right. you're not going to mount it or anything. So, okay. Uh, let's see. Next, I think we had, yeah. Uh, how many animals can a non resident take? Deer, turkey, et cetera, just kind of whatever they're hunting. Is there, a, obviously, there's a limit, but um, let's talk through that. Yeah. So for, um, Obviously you need to have, for any of like the lotteries, it's just that one tag that you have. Um, during those concurrent licenses that um, come available first come first serve sometime in August that Brian talked about, um, you can purchase, uh, or there's no limit of those, but it is first come first serve and it goes fast. So I don't know how many times you could really get in there depending on how many are available and get one. But, um, and again, residents are competing for that too. So. I know people around here who have gotten multiples, but yeah, I'm certainly have to kind of be on the clock there and, and quick with your fingers. But um, otherwise, we haven't gotten to this yet, but um, we don't let non-residents hunt spring turkey. We do let um, them purchase first come, first serve fall turkey tags after our resident fall turkey lottery. Um, and the limit on those is five. Um, again, you're competing with um, residents for those same tags as well, but. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise any small game would just be the same as, um, resident regulations. Um, okay. when you talk about ducks or upland birds. All right. Next up I had, um, the non-resident draw system, but I think we touched on that in the beginning when we talked about the, the 15% for the archery deer and then the 1% for the gun lottery stuff. Um, right. so we'll, we can move on past that. And I think let's, um, let's talk about outfitted hunts and then we'll hit uh, public versus private land. So do you guys have outfitted hunts or high fence type hunts where people can pay to pay, pay to hunt? I'm looking right. at Kayla, Kayla's notes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I just, it's not something I'm super familiar with. So I was curious if you had a number or any kind of read Brian on, how many of those guided outfitter tags we give out, but it's, it's not super common here. Or like there isn't a lot of them. Um, and I don't, I'm pretty sure none are high fence scenarios. Um, it's just kind of like right. posted private land that they kind of um, maintain access to. Free range and again, I think stuff. a lot of that is the difficulty with, 
those opportunities um, just with the, the lower number of non-resident licenses available too. So um, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think you hit on the head there, Kayla. Um, yeah, just again, the one, 1% and then we got a year like this. I don't, I know we briefly touched on that where we had a pretty, pretty lengthy winter record breaking winter in, in North Dakota last this last season here. So it was, uh, yeah, something that, uh, Definitely didn't help our, our numbers for alloc our allocation for deer numbers and and a lot of throughout the state we saw a lot of um, limited um, or, or uh, a decrease in, in licenses available for residents so that certainly doesn't help non-residents either but yeah yeah totally uh, public versus private land what's your what's the percentage of public land that you guys have yeah roughly, it's, that, that's roughly. yeah that's something that's uh, that that's a lot different in our, in our state compared to some others here, but we're, we're primarily privately owned. So 90 plus percent privately owned in our state. Um, we do have some opportunities with like Kayla mentioned out out West with the uh, grasslands and, and some of the other public lands we have with the uh, refuge, you know, uh, national wildlife refuges, WPAs. We have our state wildlife management areas. Um, there are, there's some BLM tracks out there, army Corps of engineers, uh, lands out there as well too um as state uh trust lands so typically in a township there's always a, a section of land for uh trust lands there but those are some of the public land opportunities to hunt um with game and fish here we have a we do have a private lands program so we you know a lot of them call them walk-in areas so this is our plots program so private private lands open to sportsmen um we do have about eight hundred thousand plus acres of that here um this year so um, yeah, I think that's, that's, uh, there's some, some pretty good opportunities, uh, on the public lands there. Um, but yeah, still primarily privately owned. And, and so a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of folks knocking on doors over the years and, and trying to get access to, uh, to hunt. So. Yeah. Um, so that even makes it a little tougher, right? Cause even if you do by chance draw the tag, then you got to find the spot to hunt beyond that. So it, right. it does becomes a game for sure right. uh what about I did over... wanna... go ahead go ahead Kayla. i did want to add um it's we'll kind of come up in a couple of spots here but um we do have a peculiar law here in the state where if it is not posted um it is open to hunting um like the open right. access law um a couple of years ago we did go through a legislative session where uh, we allowed one of the complaints um, was just like that. Yeah. I, that landowners have to go take their time and money to put up signs to post their land. Um, and so one thing that came out of that was that we now offer electronic posting. So either are available. So either a physical sign um, or there's a number of tools. We have some free ones as well as um, Onyx picked up the layer as well. So you can see if it's electronically posted. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, just making sure now that we have that electronic posting, you know, if it's been a couple of years since you've been here, you need to really make sure it's not posted before accessing it. But um, there's certainly, I know some acres out there that are um, accessible in that way, that they are privately owned, but not electronically or physically posted. I do think it's a common tension point. Um, I think there's just as many issues with residents doing it as non-residents. I think non-residents just sometimes get a bad rap of that but always every state yeah. it's always um, the non-resident fault but yeah just be being mindful of that that opportunity exists but then really um you know do your homework and make sure that it's not posted but yeah we mostly unique... only get 
Yeah, we mostly only get complaints from people from Indiana or New Mexico, but otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, those guys are the worst. <laughs> I've heard about those guys. Nah. No, now, I do. It's... I do hear that a lot, though, where people say, oh, man, it's uh, and this is just an example. Um, I found this campsite and there was trash left all over and there was all kinds of you know what of trash bags and all kinds of trash and then the first thing after that is oh it's the non-residents that do that and you gotta kind of think like really i mean not always yeah and, and a lot of times i've seen non-residents take better care because they know that there's that reputation and and we don't want that to to be had but either way it's it, yeah there's really always is. that controversy and yeah. always that that little argument but there's ethical um, hunters and there's bad apples and that's uh, across the board. So across yeah, the board, no matter where you go, yeah, no matter where you go, it's not just but, Indiana and New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, uh Kayla to, yeah, that, that electronic posting has been something that, yeah, that's been um, a few things there is that it's um, there are, yeah, like you said, there's this, there's opportunities for landowners to, to do one of three things is to one, leave their land unposted. Cause we do have landowners that say, you know what? I just, um, I don't, don't ask. I'm, I'm happy to open my land up. Um, yeah, certainly, uh, we have plenty of this or that and, and you don't need to call me. <laughs> so they, they have, that's, that's their, uh, you know, preference. And then we have the others that, you know, they, they just want to, they are, they're happy with the physical signage. And so they want to continue to use that. And then, yeah, the new, the new trend being the, you know, the electronic posting with the, you know the the cost and effort to go do that because some of these lands are pretty vast or they may take um especially out in the more rugged country it might take a a horse an atv a boat and everything else to sign that land so i mean it's something that they've uh they've been pretty appreciative of with the ability to post electronically but more important than all that stuff is what the what that really is and so our laws in the state have been with with uh posting land has been the person that posts land is to put their name on that sign because they're the point of contact. And we have a tremendous amount of landowners that, that do, they're open to entertaining hunters. I mean, they're, they, they want that. They understand that, especially, you know, they see, you know, some, they want to see that, that youth come in and, and a number of things. They just want to, they, they realize that the, the resources they have. So um, they do. Yeah. It's just, this is mostly a communication tool is you know if there's some and that, like i mentioned knocking on doors it's there's a lot of folks that um again they, their land's posted but they they will definitely uh they definitely will um are entertaining access for hunters so um i think that electronic postings kind of foster that a little bit because as we all know with signs they can be weathered they can be difficult to read <laughs> legibility uh isn't the greatest all the time so um having a clear point of contact is super helpful and whether it's it's someone that actually leaves some contact information or if it's someone that just gives you a, a crack at it to go to go knock on a door. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's something that's definitely been discussed like, at length with the electronic posting. So, Gotcha. That's pretty cool. Uh, I haven't heard of that really in, in other states. I know a lot of those mapping tools use just the private versus public, but they're not doing that full electronic tagging stuff so that's great i think in most states it's just whether or not it's posted it's still illegal to hunt it so we just kind of have this unique open access law where yeah yeah just... so um we already hit on the pricing of licenses so i think we'll skip over that and and then later on i think we talk about weapons requirements i i like to push people to the regulation for that just because things change every year 
and there could be an additional fee or something. So um, go look at the regulation when you're looking at pricing and weapons requirements, calibers, arrow weight, that type of stuff. But next, I want to jump into over-the-counter opportunities. And just to clarify, I know we talked about it a little bit, but to, to kind of summarize this into one spot in the podcast, what over-the-counter opportunities are available out there for, for non-residents? So yeah, we have the uh, you know we have the deer bow opportunities. You mentioned a little bit about that with the concurrent season, um, but yeah, the the deer bow um, the deer bow opportunities are there. Um, we talked a little bit about the small game and waterfowl. Um, obviously, we have a you know the we, I know we've, we we tend to skip over fishing, <laughs> but we do have some great fishing opportunities in the state. I mean, we're probably seeing some historic. Um, just success. It's just, it seems like everyone's doing quite well. And I know a lot of people, it probably depends on different parts of the country with angling is that you like to, you like to go for something you don't have in your backyard. So if you have an abundance of bass fishing, then you want, you know, if you, you know, to go in and, and, and get into some, you know, walleye pipe perch, um, and vice versa. So it's just, um, yeah, a lot of great, great angling opportunities in our state. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like we also touched a little bit on that uh, fall turkey opportunity with those who you know, concurrent, you know, that remaining licenses there. So, um, yeah, I think that's definitely folks can come in here, take advantage of those those uh, small game opportunities. Um, like I mentioned with the, you know, whether it be pheasant or grouse, they can they can come in and pick up a two week period and then, and then they can purchase another license if they're coming back. So certainly some some opportunity there. What type yeah, of turkeys do you guys have up there? Is there anything unique that would draw someone to to North Dakota for turkey? We don't have like anything where like nowhere else would have it. We have Easterns on the Eastern part of the state and then Merriam's um, to the West. And I think I've kind of read that most of the, most of them, like if you're not on far East, far West are some mixture of, okay. of both. Um, okay. But. Um, I did just want to clarify. So I had mentioned that we have um, we have an any deer bow lottery, no preference points that April 15th deadline. Um, and the I think the primary draw for people with that is they're wanting to hunt mule deer, probably specifically mule deer bucks. Um, and they just again, I'm generalizing, but probably want to spot in stock. It's just a more accessible method with mule deer, just kind of the country that they live in and their behavior. Um, but our um, if you just want a white-tailed deer archery license as a non-resident, that is over-the-counter. Um, so if you're more, you know, you know someone here, you're just going to kind of do more of stand, like a tree stand or blind opportunity. Um, again, most of our whitetails are kind of, there is whitetails out west, but, you know, kind of the stronghold is central and eastern North Dakota. Um, but that's not to say um, you couldn't attempt to spot and stalk white-tailed deer in any part of the state, but the white-tailed deer archery license is over the counter. Um, and you could, the, the any deer bow lottery, it's an any deer license, so you could still opt. Um, but I just think most people are interested in hunting mule deer with that license. Gotcha. Okay, good. Uh, we already talked about CWD. We'll do weapons requirements. Let's talk uh, blaze orange. Is it required to wear blaze orange when you're in the field? A lot of minutia here, but during our deer gun and muzzleloader seasons, you do have to wear a solid blaze orange hat and then um, 
hips, a garment above the waist totaling 400 square inches. I think that's a pretty common number for those that do require blaze. Um, and then if you are archery hunting during the deer gun season, you need to have that on as well. Um, but different from some other states, I think if you're archery hunting during the muzzleloader season, um, you're good after the after the deer gun. Um, but if you are actively muzzleloader hunting, you need to have the blaze orange on. Um, and then it's not required for small game hunting, um, but still highly recommended or I definitely like to make sure the dog and myself have it on during the deer gun season for sure but um not required yeah good 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 uh this is always a fun topic here to talk about and that is most common violations in the field so um, a lot of times people will talk to the game wardens and find out what non-residents are doing out there and those most common violations and I, I always like to hear them because it's it seems to be different from every state but um, what do you guys see for your your most common violations? I, I like what Kayla has on here for notes, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. the fail the fail to carry certainly. Um, yeah, that's uh, I would say that's that rings up there with our most common violations. Uh, it, certainly, we just another way to promote that app, right? Um, a lot of people have their cell phone; they take pictures with it. It's always in, it's attached to their hip or sidearm, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, but yeah, certainly fail to carry is one of them. Um, getting back a little bit into the um, electronic posting, um, tre- you know, trespass related issues, some of this stuff, especially when you get into into some of the different terrain and country um, where we have a, a checkerboard of federal, private land and federal land, right? And public land, right? So um, certainly some, some challenges out there where people are just making sure they're aware of where they're at. And, and that can, you know, that can, that can I know that can occur other places too, and and we get into the the challenges of physical signage, and so we talked about that where you know signs have had you know you may have it legally posted or or you know in in one case, and then the next case a sign's missing, or uh, it could be a number of reasons why that sign's missing. It could be the the winds that blew it to Canada or whatever, or it could be that it was um, you know taken out by some farm equipment or something like that, or something malicious. And so, you know, there's some challenges there with trespass related um, uh, cases, but I think that's where we've seen a benefit with electronic posting is that when it's done digitally, no matter what happens in the field or, or you know, something's done, it's it's clear to the to the hunter that's out there. But um, so, yeah, I think we've seen some improvement on that. So that's a good thing. Um, and then the other thing would be the, you know, um, you know, the you know, forgot, the, forgot the plug, you know, I've, uh, <laughs> and, you know, a shotgun holding more than three, three shells. So, um, you know, it's just, you know, obviously hunting different critters, making sure that you're legal there. Um, I don't know if they touched on, um, certain re- regulations, uh, hunting on, you know, federally and waterfowl production areas, um, you know, steel shot required and things like that. But, um, yeah, certainly those are probably our more common ones. Um, yeah, Kayla, I think you have some stuff on here too for Hunt for Tomorrow. Um, you can expand on that. Yeah, we just kind of a marketing push to, we call it Hunt for Tomorrow, but just residents and non-residents just um, represent hunting well, you know, whether something is the law or not, just, you know, picking up your trash, um, doing things like, um, you know, maybe don't take a shot at a deer that's standing on the fence line of a posted land and inevitably going to jump over as soon you know just like be a good person <laughs> I know that's a tough um that's sort of the the spirit around it though or um it's just you know 
hunting can get a really bad image. So like do your part to, to make sure you're doing your best, whether it's something that's actually a law or not. Um, just being respectful of the land, the animals that are out there, the other hunters. Um, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I've seen people just do, I'm not personally seen, but I, people do the most random things. And nowadays, it seems like half the time they want to catch it on video and post it somewhere of them doing just <laughs> unethical or just whatever on hunting friendly type of things. And, and uh, I totally agree with that hunt for tomorrow. I think that's a great, a great thing to do. Courtesy definitely goes a long way, and you know you hear you hear some of the stories. And again, it's it's the the few and far between, but they ruin it for everybody else. When you you know you approach that person who's again has been you know, been willing to entertain hunters for decades, it only takes that that one experience or those few experiences for them to say, you know, I I found some, I had my land posted or this or I saw this or that, and I confronted the person and. Instead of them having a, a decent conversation, it gets to be, you know, well, I don't care what you say. I have a right to this. Like, well, hold on a second. I own this land or, or I saw this. And so, again, just some just some common courtesy would just go a long way. And, and unfortunately, again, those that don't, they give a bad rap for ethical hunters and and really ruin it, really ruin it for, for yep. many. So, um, yep. yeah, I think the hunt for tomorrow is a great concept. Um, certainly, you know, continue that trend and, and kind of make you know, make people realize how important that is for the legacy of this. So all over. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're kind of winding down, but there's still a few more questions I want to hit. So uh, special opportunities for veterans or military. Does does uh, the state have anything for military or veteran folks? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, and even some recent legislation too. Um, we do have some basically active duty military are those stationed in the state um non-residents can get resident license fees um there's some opportunities too we do have north dakota national guard uh north dakota national guardsmen that actually live out of state and so again they they have been included too to receive this is some recent legislation here to to be able to uh purchase licenses at resident rates so um we have some notes here too on the you know the youth youth and military waterfowl weekend so there's an early weekend to hunt um waterfowl hunters 15 years younger and veterans and members of the armed forces on active duty so um this does include the national guard members too so there's a there's some opportunity there um but yeah there's a there's a number of options there that folks can um certainly uh make use of some discounted rates on licenses so yeah, and oftentimes, kind of, kind of like this, it it's, doesn't usually pertain to the non-resident, but military members are all over the world, and if they're still a resident of that home state, for you guys, that home state being North Dakota, there's that opportunity, and I think that's great that they're they can come home and they can hunt in in the state for those resident fees and um, have those right. opportunities for some of those draws to still be a resident. So those that's great. Yeah um okay state resources available so you mentioned you have your uh ndo podcast and is there any other resources out there do you guys have youtube um, anything on your website where people could go to learn a little bit more about the the multiple topics that we talked about today yeah we have a number of communication you know the podcast was sort of the latest but we have um 
weekly video webcasts they're just kind of like topics around it's a good place you know where we do like pheasant growing counts and how pheasant populations are faring and we do the same for most of the upcoming seasons just kind of a preview um and just some other interesting stories weekly there and then the magazine monthly magazine with some um information as well but um our website's a pretty great um resource for pretty much any of your questions um i think it's i think having hunted other states i always come come back and complain to Brian about this, but um, ours is, I think, very user-friendly. Maybe it's because I live here, but I just feel like I go to another state and I have to click so many times to get to what I need. And I think ours is like pretty quick on getting you to buying a license or, or getting you to what you need. Um, again, I mentioned the lottery results are on there. Um, so just being aware of that your chances might be low or, I mean, there is some opportunities for does and some units, but just, you know, being aware of those. Um, there's also a little video I did last year on there, um, just kind of how the lottery works. Um, the app that we mentioned, a great resource for applying, for showing your license, for downloading those regs when you come here. Um, I and think Jen link it. Yeah, definitely that app can will link you into the other communication tools with like that Kayla mentioned, whether it be YouTube or, or Facebook or other social, you know, or, or communication tools that we have out there. So. Um, and then just I, not that I want a bunch of calls, but I feel like we have um, pretty great staff that are are here to make sure that you're legal or, or explain things. Um, yeah, not trying to get more calls, but I think our staff is is pretty dedicated. So you heard it here. Call Kayla. She's got all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Don't do that. Um, uh, yeah. So and I will uh, to, to kind of circle back to what you said it was very easy to find the proclamation and the regulations. So when I went in there, um, I mean, it's a few drop down menus and you can get there. One thing I, I kind of noticed is it seems like there's separate proclamations for species and, and that type of stuff. Do you guys have one collective um, regulation that goes out that you can mail out or is it just those separate one for turkey, one for deer, one for Waterfowl. They're all pretty separate besides like the small game waterfall fur bear is a combined guide, but otherwise um, like deer is separate, pronghorn separate. Um, yeah. Okay. All the seasons are kind of separate. I know. And the other thing I want to touch on is it seems cumbersome when we do this podcast, but again, having hunted in other States um, for the most part, we do a really good job of keeping our regulations pretty simple. I mean, like things don't differ by unit. We don't have like, Again, just having hunted other states, we don't have like a type tag that's only on private land and a type tag that's only on public land. And this exception is closed here to non-res. Like everything is pretty as simple as we can make it. Um, so I don't know. Again, like or our fishing is just like here's the limits. There's no seasons. Um, Doesn't vary by lake, like you yeah, said. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of states where it's like lake by lake has something different. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, there's a couple exceptions, but really, yeah. It's, you know, simple is good and we want to continue to do that. People like that. Um, yeah. Even down to the licensing, I mean, you, you can get super complex with licenses and offer, offer 250 different licenses for people to choose from. And, and the trend is, and I think New Mexico has actually done some of that, if I recall, um, just going through their license structure, really simplifying it to, uh, and seeing an increase in sales that way. So, um, yeah, that we have a, we have a pretty good system down here that I really like and it's, there's no points, there's no anything. You just apply every year and 
you have an opportunity. So it's not like the guy that's sitting on 30 points is going to draw the the best elk tag. Um, everybody has the same chances every year. Obviously there's two different pools, you know, there's resident and non-resident, but you still have the same chance of those people in the same pool. So yeah, it's similar, similar. Um, a couple more things to talk about. Take a kid. What is the take a kid? What's that? You know, I just added that on there that, uh, non-residents under the age of 16, um, they only need to purchase that like fishing, hunting, that $2 for a bear certificate and a general game and habitat to hunt small game and waterfowl. So, um, we, that like hundred dollar non-resident small game or the hundred three plus dollar waterfall is not, um, they just need that general game and habitat. So a great opportunity to bring kid. And then we also talked about, yeah, yeah. Just the reciprocal with States. And then, um, kids under 16 don't even need a fishing license. So um, just a lot of opportunities. If you, um, you know, you really want to come here and experience it, um, but you can't, you know, the tags are difficult or things like that. Um, it's just as fun to bring someone else and experience it through their eyes. Or, you know, if you do have a license or a tag, it's pretty cheap to add on a kid. So just some opportunities there. Okay. Yeah, I still think we're still, as far as pricing, I still think we're some of the, you know, uh, cheaper cheaper states in the nation for for different types of licenses so um but yeah it's uh it's good it's great opportunities for youth so good that's good because that helps fuel the future right we get more right. youth out there and out there hunting and then they bring a buddy along and it just it grows that way mm-hmm. um ngo raffle or auction off big game licenses let's talk about those raffles i I'm always curious to hear what, well, first off, what big game is available on those raffles. And then I'm always curious what they go for as far as cost wise. Yeah. So we have a few tags, uh, special, it's called the special allocation lottery where a few, well, we have some that are grandfathered in like the sheep foundation gets a sheep tag every year. I think Rocky mountain elk gets an elk tag. There's a few grandfathered in, but otherwise we have a, a few left where NGOs can apply. It seems like, more and more NGOs are catching on to that. Um, even ones that maybe aren't hunting and fishing related, just know how popular that is. Um, there's actually, a, I think, a small table with the odds of drawing that for NGOs. But um, So I just added that on here that there would be an opportunity if you bought a raffle. They can, it's up to them whether they want to do like a um, live auction for those or like a raffle ticket scenario. But there would be an opportunity to get a big game tag if you won one of those raffles or or uh, the live. I think I want to say the sheep tag goes for like $50,000 or more usually at the live auction. But um, so my cousin actually uh, hunted pronghorn here. She's not from here. Got a pronghorn tag in one of those raffles so she's hunted pronghorn here before i have um but so there is some limited opportunity um with those but you're not jealous at all about that are you <laughs> yeah just a little <laughs> yeah i bet i bet uh cast and blast let's what's cast and blast yeah i just added that on here again i know our big game opportunities are kind of limited but again a, a phenomenal state to small game waterfall and upland hunting and then um just really great fishing here. So if you want to kind of do both, it's a great state to do a, yeah, cast and blast. So fish and hunt, um, our annual non-resident fishing license is $48, which is so for the full year, pretty cheap. Um, and a lot of our, um, we stock walleyes in a lot of lakes and a lot of those are like, we call them our district lakes, but in rural areas where you might also be waterfall hunting and upland hunting. So I hear a lot of stories of, 
whatever, but not that you have to get limits, but you know, limited ducks in the morning and then your limited walleyes in, in the evening. So, um, there's a lot of opportunities for that. Not a bad way to spend the day right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you kind of mentioned it, but I had on here the best opportunities for non-resident hunters. I think you just kind of touched on that, but if you want to hit it one more time, so people get it. Yeah, I think if I had to pick, arguably, I guess, upland game, again, kind of Brian mentioned this, but um, if you want to hunt uplands, it's $100. Um, you get two seven-day periods, or if you're going to come for two weeks, you could just squish them together. Um, but you can buy multiples of those for the, the upland, not for the waterfall. Um, so I have a friend who moved here and wasn't a resident yet, and he just kept buying those all season. But uh, yeah, just really great. Uh, upland particularly, uh, I mean, there's many states good for pheasants, but we have some really great sharp tail hunting, especially in the early season in September. Um, and our gray partridge or Hungarian partridge or Huns have really been on the rise, uh, kind of a fun little species that aren't in many states. So, um, just a great state to upland hunt in, I think. All right. Last question for you. What do you think that North Dakota is known for as far as game? Like if you were going to say this is this is what we got and this is what we're famous for what is it Ooh, i think kayla just hit it i think it'd be the all the uh, same yeah the waterfowl the the uh pheasants and grouse and yeah and uh yeah. certainly some angling opportunities for sure i feel like waterfowl is probably what we're known for it's certainly very attractive to residents and non-residents um but is it is getting a little competitive um but still, yeah, we're in that prairie pothole region. Um, a lot of ducks and a lot of geese too. Yes. So. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. Uh, you talked about some of those resources earlier, but let's get websites and locations for that stuff. Uh, where do people find your game agency and your, your resources? Yeah. So our website is gf.nd.gov. And as Kayla mentioned, it's just, there's a great, great path for you to kind of navigate, um, all the information you need or to answer a lot of the questions. Um, or you can really start with our mobile app. I mean, you can go out there to just search NDGF or North Dakota Game Fish. Um, and that'll certainly navigate you through our website, uh, buying and applying, um, all that, all that information regulations and as well as all the other additional tools that I mentioned. So a couple of easy paths to get information for North Dakota. And uh yeah. Certainly, uh, certainly looking forward to continue to push our mobile app and, and continue to see its uh, increase in use too. So, great. Where do they find the NDO podcast, Kayla? Yeah, so any of your podcasting platforms, you can just search NDO or um, again, right there, kind of on the homepage at gf.nd.gov too, will get you to the right place as well. Perfect. Good. Well, it sounds like there is definitely limited opportunity, but there is opportunity for people that want to hunt North Dakota. It might take a little bit of time, but that opportunity is out there. So I really appreciate both of you coming on and sharing all this, this information. There was a lot of really good stuff in there. So thank you very much. You bet. Thanks no for having problem. us, Chad. Oh, you're welcome. Well, I hope you enjoyed that show with North Dakota. We talked about it quite a bit. There's, there is opportunity for non-residents up there. And I, I'm kind of excited. I think it might be kind of neat to go pick up one of those over-the-counter whitetail tags and go try to shoot a nice North Dakota whitetail buck one of these years. So we'll see if I'm ever up there. South Dakota has always been on my list, and it might be one of those big kind of tour type of things where I go up and hunt South Dakota and then pop over into North Dakota and do some whitetail white hunting. 
we'll see. Either way, there's opportunity. I think it was really cool to hear what they have to offer, and hopefully it's a state that you've looked at before, and hopefully this podcast helped you understand the state a little bit better. If you like this podcast, please leave a review. I like five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, or um, leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. That'd be great. Tell me what you liked about this show. Five stars on Spotify or any of those other ones out there. So thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. We'll be coming back next week with another great state for non-residents to hunt in.